you want more of the Lord this morning, somebody say amen. 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 I want to talk to you this morning about why we love Jesus. And the title of this message is, He Fills Us with Good Things. He Fills Us with Good Things. I want to talk to you about the goodness of God. I've got a little gift for your ushers. I'm going to give you one. Just uh, uh, This morning, I'll give you a Keebler cookie. How many people know about Keebler cookies? All right. Uh, what is your favorite Keebler cookie? Uh, favorite Keebler cookie? I remember uh, growing up in, in daycare, man, I love the M&M Keebler cookie, you know, the rainbow M&M Keebler cookie. That was my favorite. Uh, but Keebler cookies, uh, they started in 1853 making snacks. Uh, they grew and they included the Chips Deluxe and the Fudge Shop cookies, uh, ice cream cones, and more. Uh, they actually became the official bakers of the Girl Scout cookies uh, in 1936 and even would go on to cook the snacks on Sesame Street, believe it or not. But why I'm doing this this morning, why you're getting a cookie in your hand, is because one of their slogans uh, throughout the years, and I literally wrote this sermon and, and just the Keebler elf just popped in my head, uh, was uncommonly good. How many people remember that commercial? Uncommonly good. I want to talk to you this morning about the uncommonly good life that is in Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about the uncommon goodness of God. The uncommon goodness of God. They wanted to make something that was so uncommonly good that satisfied people. And hopefully you will be satisfied for the rest of the sermon. You won't be thinking about lunch, right? Uh, But uncommonly good. And the question for me today is, If they want to make cookies that are uncommonly good, that satisfies people, what is it that satisfies the soul? What is it that satisfies the soul? And by soul, I mean that life force within you, the soul or the spirit. Sometimes those words are used uh, interchangeably, but the soul or the spirit, that is the inner part that is you. It's not your body. uh, It's not this fleshly part of me. It's the real me on the inside, the, the wants, the dreams, the personalities, the thing that has the godlike nature inside of it, the, the life force. If my soul is absent from this body, this body just dies. I can be on a ventilator, and they can pump blood through me and air through me, but you'll know I'm not there. There's a difference. How many people in the medical field know? There's, there is something. There's a spark that makes someone something. If you've had someone pass away and you look at them in the coffin, you know, well, that's their body, but you know they, they just don't look like them. They're just not them anymore. And the soul is that life force, that being within you. And what satisfies that? What satisfies the real you? What does that thing crave or is hunger for? What fills you with a smile uh, and joy on difficult days? What makes you an overcomer when things are taken away from you? What makes you... Uh, What do you have inside of you that is greater than anything anyone could ever do to you? Any loss you could ever go through? I look in Scripture, and man, I see a group of young people, some 20-something, 30-something-year-olds, man, and when they got a hold of God, it seems that even James, when he writes, he says, man, count it all joy when you go through various trials. Man, they had something. They, They had something within them that was satisfying, that was soul-satisfying. And I think about the story of uh, Paul and Silas in prison in the book of Acts. 
Paul and Silas have been doing great things for God, and they, they uh, cast out this uh, demon out of this little girl, and, man, they throw them in jail for it. And there they are in jail, in a pit, in the dark place, in a Philippian jail, sent there to rot. They don't know when they're going to get out or what they're going to be done. And, in fact, the Bible says they were stripped, and they were beaten, and they were scourged. They were, they were I mean, they were messed up. I mean, they were physically afflicted. And, and if you don't know anything about a Philippian jail, there's no hygiene, there's no toilet. In fact, the toilet would be above you. If you're down in the pit, the guy above you, he would use his facilities through your jail. I mean, this was a bad place. You go there to die. You didn't have, there was no Medicare, no free dental, no television. I mean, this is a bad place. And the Bible says that it was in the watches of the night, it was even to midnight, that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. To God. There you go for some of you who love hymns. They were singing hymns to God in the night watches. I'm thinking, what in the world has got to be inside of you that in the middle of one of these worst, disgusting places on earth, you are singing? Not just singing until you're tired, but into 12, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Man, you are just singing to God. Do you suffer a lack when something's been taken from you? When you are offended, what happens? When you're taken advantage of, does a negative situation make you negative? Does a discouraging situation make you discouraged? Does a depressing situation make you depressed? Do frustrations irritate the fire out of you so it affects your whole day long? Come on. These guys are singing in the middle of a pit. And I want to talk to you this morning about something that satisfies the soul. Something that can make melody in your heart on the worst days of loss, of of disability, of frustrations, of negative circumstances. Something that is so satisfying, it's made mercy is new every morning. Joy is always coming in the morning because there's something about the goodness of God. Today, I think there's, for most of us in the American church, I think we can say we are more affected by our situation or life circumstances or influences. But the number one satisfaction for the New Testament believer is the goodness of God. How much of the goodness of God do you have bubbling up inside of you? Because here's the thought for today. The goodness of God is the only thing that satisfies a hungry soul. The goodness of God's glory is the only thing that satisfies the hungry soul. Look with me in Psalms 107, verse 1. I'm going to skip down to verse 8. Talk to you about God's goodness. Psalms 107, verse 1. David writes, he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is what? Good. He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. In verse 8, he says, let them give thanks to the Lord for His loving kindness and for His wonders to the son of, sons of men. For here's verse 9 is really what I want to talk to you today about. For He has satisfied the thirsty what? The thirsty soul. Not the life, not the body, not the job, not the career, not your mental stability. He has satisfied the hungry and the thirsty soul. The hungry soul He has filled with what is what? Good. Look at those key words. God is good. 
He has satisfied the hungry and the thirsty soul with what is good. Who is good? God is good. He satisfied the thirsty and the hungry soul with what is good. And that word satisfied there in the original text, it doesn't just mean, okay, I'm kind of full. I had a, a good dinner plate. I had a steak. I, this week I grilled some steaks and man, just one of them, one was great and one was not. And I ate the first one. I didn't eat two steaks in the same day, by the way. This is the day after, okay? I ate the one. I'm like, man, that just really, that wasn't that wasn't all that. It wasn't good. It wasn't the right, it had too much chewiness in it. And then I got to the next day, it's like, okay, that was a good steak. And when that word satisfied means, it's not just kind of getting to an even level, like when you top off your gas tank. It is overflowing. It is exceedingly overflowing. It, that word satisfied means they got their fill to the point that they were even overwhelmed with excess of their desires. And it says he gave them good things. And that word good things means he has given generous, beautiful, pleasing things. He has satisfied the thirsty soul, that life force within you, and the hungry soul he has filled, overflowing in excess of your desire with what is beautiful, generous, and pleasing. You know, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 53, Mary, when she prophesied after the, the Holy Spirit leaped in, in Elizabeth, and she prophesied this thing called, we, uh, uh, she prophesied all these things about God. And one of the things she prophesied in Luke chapter 1, he said, she said this, right, this same verse. It says, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. I don't think it's a coincidence that she is tagging this on to the birth of Christ. Because I think David and Mary knew that when we're talking about God satisfies, we're not talking about just vineyards in these ancient days. We're not just talking about good houses and good jobs and, and prosperity in the natural sense. But David and Mary both knew what the hungry soul is longing for, what the hungry soul really is craving, what your inner person, your inner being when we can get past all of the things of this life that I want a good job and I want a good roof over my head and I want to take a good vacation and I want a good buffet and I want all these things for my kids and I want all these things in life. And, and you know, that will satisfy just for a little while. But what you really are hungry for, what you really are thirsty for, David and Mary said, are the, is the goodness of God. It's something money cannot buy. It's the true need of your soul. Look in Psalms 103, just flip back a couple chapters. Psalms 103, David kind of says it again in Psalms 103, verse 1. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who has what? Here's what he's thinking about the goodness. He's saying, He's pardoned all my iniquities. He's healed all my diseases. He's redeemed my life from the pit. He's crowned me with loving kindness and compassion. And here's this verse 5. Key in Psalms 103, verse 5, who satisfies your years with what? Good things. There it is again. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. David is saying, man, there was this, there's this, I can't even, even hardly describe. He says, there's this goodness of God. When I think about all that God has done for me and all that God is, he's good. And when he's crowned me with loving kindness, he's healed me from disease, he's delivered me from the pit, he's saved my soul. And when I think about the Lord, 
There's a song we sing. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, cleansed me, filled me with the Holy Ghost, he's tur- uh, he set my feet right on solid ground. He says he's redeemed your life from the pit. He's satisfied. There's that word satisfied again. The exceedingly satisfied, overwhelmed in excess of your desires with good things. There's nothing good but God so that your youth is renewed. I think David is talking about something here. He's saying, guys, when the goodness of God came in and got a hold of my life, that the goodness of God went down to the depths of my soul. It wasn't just this platitude level of coming to church, thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul, amen. It wasn't just this, oh, I know there's a God who died on the cross for me. But when the goodness of God went down to the depths of my innermost being, and I got this revelation of who he was and his spirit connected with my soul, something happened. He said that my youth got renewed like, like a child. My, my spirit got renewed with, within me. My, my, like eagles, mean something that was able to soar above the clouds, something that was new every morning. The ancients believed that like an eagle, kind of like we talk about the phoenix, that every time they had a new plume, a new pelt, right? Uh, new feathers came out, that they basically became a new eagle. That was like legend and tradition. And so what he's saying there, he's saying, when the goodness of God gets a hold of your life and it comes to the inside of you. And you're not just singing from your lips anymore. You're not just singing from your head anymore. But when you begin to sing from your heart and it touches you in a powerful way, something spiritual happens within. You become as new. And see, the goodness of God is defined as this. It is His infinite, unchangeable character. It is His mercy. It's His love. It's His grace. It's His compassion. It's His glorious presence. It's who He is. See, the goodness of God, it's, the Bible says that God is good. And so when we say the goodness of God, we're talking about Him. We're talking about His Spirit, His, His overflowing nature. It's just who He is. You can't wholly describe Him. And in fact, every time you look in the Scripture... Almost every time when you see people see God or get a revelation or experience His power, His presence, man, they fall on their knees. They declare He's holy, He's good, He's awesome, He's righteous. It's just who He is. He's just good. And there's a moment, even in Moses' life, I think about Moses, when Moses prays and says, God says, I'm not going to go with you, Moses. You've got to go on your own. He says, God, uh, we don't want to leave anywhere without your presence. I, just don't let it be, God. Don't let us go anywhere without your presence. And he says, God, I pray, show me your glory. And you know what God said? I didn't really catch this until this sermon. He says, and he puts him in a, in a kind of a, a, a cliff or an away part because, you know, you can't handle all of God's glory. And so here's what God says. He says, Moses, Exodus thirty-three nineteen, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. The goodness of God's glory was so strong, Moses couldn't take it all in. And even when Moses saw the goodness of God's glory in a veiled sense, the Bible says that it even changed his very nature. It made him glow. It made his hair white as snow. And I believe today that if you and I would get a revelation, an encounter of God's glorious goodness, of his glorious presence, the goodness of his Holy Spirit, it can't not change you. 
It can't not affect you. We're talking about having it on within. Moses saw it on the outside. He saw it veiled. He saw it through. uh, Paul talks about a a glass dimly or a mirror that is veiled or is dim or is foggy. And that's all we can see now. But Scripture says that because of Jesus Christ, Mary's saying, he said, he is going to fill the hungry with the good glory of God. He's going to fill the thirsty soul with the good glory of God. He's going to fill the hungry soul with the good glory of God. And what you saw happen to Moses on the outside is going to happen to some people who are hungry and thirsty on the inside. He is good. How many people say, I've experienced the goodness of God? I've experienced the goodness of God. You know, there's a... uh, there's an evangelist I, I admire, and, and he's since passed on uh, to the Lord. But uh, I have a DVD of a moment where he was uh, doing a revival here in Louisiana. And there was this moment in the altar call. You know how some churches are videotaped, and this church was videotaped. And there was this man who was with crippling arthritis. I mean, his hands were turned inward, you know, just, and, and just you could tell on his pain on his face. And as the, the evangelist came and prayed for him, the power of the Holy Spirit just came on this man. And, and I don't know how long he was down on his back in the altar. And nobody was really laying hands on him, but the camera just stayed with him. And this man, uh, I, I can't even explain it. I wish I could show it to you this morning. As he began to pray and the Holy Spirit began to fall upon this crippled man, you could see it just all of a sudden, his pain on his face, and all of a sudden he just took a gasp. It was just like, oh, and, and you could just see it just, I mean, visibly over his face and down his body. You could see the tension release. You could see him gasp and exclaim, and just as if he was trying to touch something heavenly, as if he got a revelation of something beyond this world. And in that moment of that pain, you saw his hands just release and open up, and he began to just declare the goodness and the glory of God. He got up and began to run around the building and just shout glory, and they couldn't even contain him to give a testimony because there's something about the goodness of God that is tangible. And I want us to to just dive in this morning. And I believe this, what David and Mary and Moses all encountered was the divine life. And what Jesus brought was this divine life that is meant to rest inside the believer. It is God's glorious goodness that wants to fill you and satisfy you and renew you. There's a man named Henry Skogel in, in his book, In the late 1600s, he said, real Christianity is the union of the soul with God, with God's spirit, with God's goodness. It's the union of the soul. It's having the divine life of God, his goodness fill you. It's to renew you and transform you. It's it's in his presence. You're never going to lack. And every time you feel a lacking of things for this world, his divine goodness is right there just to satisfy you again. You can have your ups and your downs, but you'll still be full every single day. It's not just a strong belief. It's not just a strong emotion or an external motivation. It's not just some church tradition. It's something that's springing up, welling up within you. That's the goodness of God. His good things are new life. It's joy. It's peace. It's comfort. It's hope. It's grace. Scripture says that God makes us overflow 
That's that same word. It, it's overflowing. It's not just satisfied. It's in excess. It's overwhelmed with the goodness of God. It's this God-like nature coming within you, and it's the result of it. And, and Paul says in Galatians 5, guys, when the goodness, the glorious presence of the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, it doesn't just satisfy you. It begins to bubble outside of you, and you will produce good things like fruit, good tasting Good, hungry people will want to eat the fruit out of your life because it's not just satisfying you to this level at my chest. It's coming out. It's a fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? When you taste the goodness of God and you're hungry and you thirst for it, He satisfies, He overflows, He overfills, and you're going to produce things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. You know, you can't produce goodness if you don't have goodness within And I know that Heath Harris has nothing good inside of him. I know that from Romans. It tells me that I am fallen short of the glory of God. I can't get to this glorious goodness on my own. I can't taste it on my own. It's only by the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes into my life. And it's by the Holy Spirit overflowing in my life that I produce goodness outside of me. You see, in this Christian life, I think we are so able to just be... It's weird because in the American society, man, we are gorgers of everything. We gorge ourselves in entertainment. We gorge ourselves on, uh, you know, Texas Roadhouse and Ryan's and all these buffets. We love all, and it's great. Love the rolls, love the steak. All kinds of things are great. We get into a hobby, and man, when a guy gets into a fishing hobby, man, he's going to buy every fishing pole. He's going to know every fishing boat. He's going to know every lure. When he gets into hunting, he's going to know about 270s, 30-odd, 60s, 30-30s, Wheelands. He's going to know everything about it. And if you get into one thing... We just gorge ourselves in it. But man, what if we gorge ourselves on the presence of God? What if it was so full of goodness on the inside, man, goodness just couldn't help but come on the outside? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying God makes you overflow. And he says God gives us infinite happiness. Let me tell you something. If God is the object of your life, you'll be happy. If God is the focus of your life, you'll be full. If you have no limit to happiness in God, you have no limit to joy or gladness or goodness. He's a God, the Bible says, whose mercy endures forever. No enemy can conquer him. No one can hold all. He holds all power in his hand. No power can overwhelm him. The Bible says he's a God that you can be in his hand. Whom shall you fear? Because everything is right in him. So you should be infinitely happy. Happy, happy all the time, right? Just like the song says that we should be overflowing, happy, joyful, yeah, I think about this song we used to sing as uh, I was growing up in, in the Assemblies of God. We used to sing, Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. How many people know that song? Keeps me singing as I go. But we wake up and we're like, oh my gosh, got to go to work today. Man, do you hear what so-and-so did? Did you see what said Facebook, blah, blah, blah? And, and did you just watch the news this morning? And you can't believe what they did to me at McDonald's. Blah, 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 my coffee ain't... Keeps me singing as I go. Keeps me singing as I... Come on, we need to say that to ourselves over and over again. Jesus is sweet. He's good. He's overflowing. And if it's not coming out of you, you ain't got it. Even in the midst of evil. I think about David. Man, this guy was on it with God. Think about Psalms 23. He's in the midst of evil. He's oppressed. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to want anything. In the midst of my enemy, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside cool, still waters. I'm in the midst of a desert, by the way, when he's writing this song. I'm gotten, I've got, it's not the desert water he's talking about. It's in the presence of God. I've got cool, refreshing water 
in God. He says that in the midst of my enemies, when they are surrounded me and I can't go get any food, he has prepared a table before me. I'm not eating physical food. That's not what David's saying. I'm munching on God's goodness. I'm munching on the glorious presence of God. And I love how he ends it. What does he say? He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I think David was kind of like, when I, when I hear that, I think about a person who's carrying a pitcher of water and it's like sloshing around and as they leave it, it's like making a wet trail, you know? And I think he's saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. He's so full, it's just sloshing out everywhere. Surely the goodness of God is so satisfying to me in a dry and weary land. That's what I'm longing for. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for Him. It's His glorious goodness. And, and I, I, I pray for us today, if you are lacking, man, just tap into the goodness of God. If you are, are hungry in any sense of your inner being, let God's goodness just spill out of your life. Be in excess of God's goodness. Be full in the midst of trial and tribulation. I want to get so lost in the goodness of God that I see nothing else. Like Paul and Silas in the midst. Man, you know, when things happen in my life, you could just say, who cares? God's good. Who cares about this thing in my life? Who cares about that problem and this problem? There's always going to be problems. Jesus says you're always going to have problems. There's going to be people who are poor. You're going to always have problems. You're going to have this problem. There's going to be nations and nations rising up. There's going to be roars and famines and plagues. He says, don't worry. I've overcome the world. I'm good. I'm God. Come on, somebody get happy in Jesus. How do you have this uncommonly good life? How do you tap into the goodness of God? You know, if your inner life is always about getting full on everything in this world... If you're waiting for life to be good and perfect till you can be happy, I'm sorry, sir or ma'am, you're going to be sorely mistaken in the Christian life. Every day is supposed to be a problem. Every season you're supposed to have difficulties. Every, after every mountain, there's always going to be a valley. And after every valley, there's always going to be a mountain. Just get on the roller coaster with us all. But guess what? God's still good. He's still good. So when you suffer loss, if you're always about this world, you're going to complain when things don't go your way. If you're going to go through life, there's going to be irritations and situations that can make you irritable. Your loss can make you lonely. Your defeats can be defeating. If you're focused on being satisfied in this world, you will always be troubled by a hunger that is never fed and a thirst that is never quenched. And if you can lose your Christianity at the McDonald's drive-thru, you ain't got Christianity. Amen. I'll say that like twice. Pretty easy to do in this area, right? The Christianity is an uncommon life because it's got uncommon goodness of God. I mean, think about it just for a second. Christianity is all about this. It's about a good news that comes in a good seed, that goes to good soil, that makes a good tree, that bears good fruit, so that in the end of the day, when you get up to heaven, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's all about the goodness of God being manifested in your life. So how do you live it? Look at Psalms 34 real quick, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Psalms 34. I just want to give you three things that we could just tap into this and live it out this week in a real and practical way. Psalms 34. We've been in Psalms 107, and, and now let's look at Psalms 34. 
he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. Three things I want you to take home with you. Number one, if you want to live in this uncommonly good life, you must fear the Lord. That word fear is not what we think about a God with a big stick. It is a reverent, holy awe. It is that moment when you come to God and you say, I am not good and he is good. And I humble myself before him. And this is where he talks about the hungry and the thirsty soul. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. It's those who come to their place of broken and humiliation and repentance and and weeping over their sin. They become empty and, and, and just disgusted with the things of this world. And they come and they say, man, apart from God, I'm not going to make this judgment thing. I'm not going to make it into heaven. I'm not going to have the eternal life that's satisfying living in me. So I fear the Lord. I respect Him like a good father. I, I, even my dad, my dad loved me, but I still respected and feared that belt. I, I can fear and love a person at the same time because it's a good God. I can respect Him as a heavenly father. And the Bible says His loving kindness is only reserved for those who fear him. So I'm in repentance. I'm in holy respect. I come humbly before him, broken over my sin. And I'm willing to turn from evil and to do good. And this is the only way you can taste in your soul his goodness. It is to fear and have a good biblical worldview of God. It is to come and, and not think so highly of yourself and live my life in honor every single day in appreciation for Him and not try to gain goodness apart from Him. You cannot gain goodness by your good works, by your good behavior, by not cussing and not drinking and not smoking and not cheating and and all that. All those are good things. But that's not going to make you good any more than any person who comes down here just one time and makes themselves right with Jesus Christ. The The only goodness you can get, it comes freely by coming fearfully to a God who is perfect love and perfect justice and walking humbly and rightly before Him. That's fear of the Lord. And if you begin to fear the Lord in your life, get a holy reverence for God, He'll begin to pour out His goodness. Number two is this, seek the Lord. Psalms 34, verse 10, it goes down. It says, the young lions, that means the strong lions, do lack and even suffer hunger. The lions are going to suffer hunger, he says. But if you're seeking the Lord, you'll not be in want of any good thing. Seeking the Lord is that constant pursuit. It is directing my life's course to the things of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if you would hunger after me, if you would come to me, you would not hunger. And if you would believe in me, you would never thirst. John 6, 35. It's him. And of the spirit, he said, you can ask, you can seek, and you can knock. And there's going to be a door that's open to you. And God is such a good God that anyone who turns from their own way of living and turns to be satisfied in Him. They turn from being satisfied by worldly pursuits and earthly gains and they don't care about their reputation anymore. They don't care about their material possession anymore. They don't care what people say or don't say about them. But they turn their focus on God and they pursue Him in their prayer time. They pursue Him in their prayer on their Bible reading time. They pursue Him with the works of their hands and their feet. They pursue Him with their mouths and with their eyes and they direct their steps toward Him. And they said, if you would just purposefully seek me and believe that I'm there, you will not regret what you're going to find. You can ask and you can seek and you can knock. And as you keep walking closer to me, you keep on the step. Man, let me tell you, it's not going to be an easy road. And you may get there and say, well, I thought it was going to be more than this. Just keep on walking. 
Just keep on seeking. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. He loves to give good gifts. He says, fathers, you, you, you're good. Even though we're sinful, earthly fathers, you can give a piece of bread to your kid when they ask. You're not giving them bad stuff. How much more does the heavenly father going to give the bread of life, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to those who sincerely ask for good things? And if you're here today and you're lacking, you say, God, my life is troubled. It's upside down. It's topsy-turvy. Man, I'm, I'm just not happy. I'm not joyful. Let me tell you, we go through life it's not going to be easy. It's going to be okay. You're human. You're going to go through depression and loss and regret and sorrow and the what ifs. And I thought my life would work out differently. And I don't know what God's doing right now. God, where are you? David, read through Psalms. It's the same thing. But in every step of the way, by faith, listen, it's faith. It's not feeling. It's faith. I don't always, David's in a desert. He is physically hungry. He is physically thirsty. He is physically oppressed. But he says, by faith, I know the goodness of God is right here. And as I step out in faith, not in feeling or even fact, there's a real fact. You had a loss. You had a, you had a problem. You had an issue. That's a fact. But faith says, but I can still in this moment tap into the goodness of God. Seek him earnestly. You'll find him. Amen. Seek the Lord. And here's the good news of that is whatever you experience here on this earth in the goodness of God, the Bible says is only a foretaste of what is to come. That's faith right there. Man, you could, you could be eating on God today and say, man, I'm, thank you, Lord. I know that you're with me and you never leave me or never forsake me. And you feel his presence come on your life. And you, and you could just have this hope inside of you. Whew, what I felt this morning, man, that's just a foretaste of glory. Lastly is this, worship the Lord. Psalms 34, he says, he makes a determination. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually in my mouth. And then he goes down. <laughs> Look at, I love how he does this. In, in verse 1, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Then in verse 13, he says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. It's as if by the time he wrote verse 1 to the time he got down to verse 13, he already had problems. <laughs> you get up in the morning, man, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. And by the end of the day, you said, you better watch your mouth. That's what you're saying to yourself. You better hold your tongue. And that's how it is. It's okay. But he says, I have determined when I got up this morning, I am going to bless the Lord. And by the end of the day, I'm saying, Lord, keep my tongue from evil, that I don't say something I shouldn't say. But in any sense of it all, I am going to say, yes, Lord, I will worship you. And again, I think about Paul and Silas in the pit of that prison. I think maybe perhaps they were singing part of this verse in Psalms 103 that it says, He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. So when it's very irritating, worship God. When it's very depressing, worship God. Make sure your lips are in line with your faith. Make sure your heart is in line with the faith of God's Word. And when you're out there in the world, be so full of God as if to live a life. Paul says that everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Do it as unto worshiping Him. So if you're going to work for a mean boss, 
man, worship God in the middle of it. Let that doing be worship. If there's an opportunity to do good, do it into worship. Do it because the glory of God is on your life. Don't do it to earn brownie points or bonus points for man or for yourself or for the Christian church. Don't do it to please the pastor or somebody, some leader. Do it because God is so welling up within you. And even, you know, let me just be honest, as good Christians as we are in the Bible Belt, and we, we try to vote right and act right and say right and do right and open doors for people, right? But don't do it because you know how to do it. Do it because you're tapped in to the goodness of God. Do it because you can't wipe the smile off your face. Do it because you're bubbling up inside. Because I know that Heath Harris is in trouble Anytime I start doing the Christian life from right here in my mind, because I know how, but I want the Holy Spirit to spring up, oh well, within my soul and make me whole. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me? I'm going to invite our leadership just to come stand across the front and be ready to pray with you. All of our small group leaders, would you come and just stand across the front this morning? What is satisfying your soul today? What is satisfying your soul today? Is it the goodness of God's glory? The goodness of God's glory. I want to pray to you, pray for you today. If you're going through anything in your heart, anything in your life, you say, "Man, I'm struggling, Pastor Heath today." I'm struggling with things in my life. Man, I'm just overwhelmed too much by situations around me. I want to be singing of the goodness of God every day. You say, that's me, Pastor. I'm just going to raise my hand. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you do anything weird. You say.